Okay. Me oh, sorry. None. Which is uh, M, M means <laughs> seed. Continue air sun. Uh, One o five. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Mm. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Oh boy, see, isn't that nice? Okay, we have uh, Naomi. She fell and will not work for a month. She takes care of a guy online, and uh, so we want to keep Naomi in prayer. Uh, she's a caregiver and just won't be able to do anything for him, so I hope he'll be fine. Um, that's one of the names that I don't care what country I've been on this planet there's somebody it's named Naomi family, it's right? everywhere I don't care where you go it's like this universal name um, okay today is the four-year anniversary of the online prayer group so if you're a part of that then you know that uh, you've been praying for people for four years now uh, Lisa D sends those out all over the place and uh, that's very wonderful she's been doing that for four years now and then tomorrow uh, ben Zeroni over in uh, the UK, he's the guy that he and his wife came five minutes before the COVID lockdown. They were the last plane going back to the UK. Tomorrow is his birthday. So we want to wish old Ben Zeroni a happy, happy birthday to you. Um, I don't like doing that because, um, you know, if you recognize one person on their birthday, you got to recognize everybody. Well, I don't know people's birthday, so I don't say happy birthday to people. But I happen to know it's his birthday for a reason, which I won't disclose. And uh, so I'm not showing favorites by saying this to one person and not another. I just am not a big birthday guy. But happy birthday, Ben Zeroni. Um, okay, I got some news here. I'm so happy about this that I could just explode. And so I, I'll probably say this again on Sunday. But um, quite some time ago, you know, Isaac built a school over in Uganda. And that took a long time to get done. The funding took a long time. There was, a, you know, you start with the, the base, you go up to the walls, you get up to the roof, you got to put in doors. And the way they do it there, they don't say our budget is $47,000. That's what we need. They say our budget is $1,200. And then the floor goes in and they say our budget is $1,800. And then the walls go up. They, they piecemeal everything. In Kenya, glory to our Lord Jesus. We thank God for this, uh, this far. Surely he who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it. May the Lord God continue to increase for the great impact through sacrifice supports. Next week, we are going to finish all the painting on the building. They built a school in Kenya, as well as Isaac in Uganda. So this is uh, Pastor Silas in Kenya. Uh, this is people helping from here and online. Uh, we thank God for Beacon of Light Center building that will accommodate many destitute orphans in the community. We really praise God for the great work that is now complete. And he wanted to thank everybody. And then he says, now we pray to join our faith together concerning the proposal that will sustain the project and the needs, meaning chairs, tables, school stationery, foods, teaches, uh, bills, uniforms, shoes, and medication. So uh, just because a building is built doesn't mean that that's the end of it. There's obviously a million things that have to continue to be done. And so, um, uh, if anybody wants to continue helping Pastor Silas in Kenya,
Kenya, um, the Rift Valley in Kenya, then you know, please continue to do so. If you want to learn how to help him, let me know and I'll send you his information. Uh, I'm just so happy though. The, the school looks beautiful. They did a marvelous job on it. And uh, so thanking everybody that has helped with putting that school together and uh, just getting a place where those kids can be educated. All right, let's see. So those prayer requests and that. And Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to be in your presence and to know that you are in control of all things, even through stresses and distresses, you are here with us. And Lord, we thank you. We, we just appreciate it so much that your hand is upon the people that we are praying for, that we have prayed for. Uh, Burke has not come in today, so we don't know how his son is, but we lift him up as well. And uh, the others that were mentioned and the others that have been mentioned in the past weeks that are still going through their trials, Lord, we lift all of them up. And uh, Lord, be with these people and be with the people that have been mentioned throughout the week on the online prayer uh, email. And uh, Lord, we just are uh, grateful for this class. We're grateful for the chance to uh, share in your word, to revel in your word, and to just have joy and rejoicing in this precious sacred word of yours. Thank you for it. We praise you and we love you and we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's the deal. Good stuff there. Let me read this and then we'll get into the Bible. Um, <clears throat> today is 2 February. <clears throat> Let's see here. Their meeting changed history. Pope John the Twelfth was one of the worst of a long line of reprobate Italian vicars. Well, that's saying a lot because I can't think of any that were good, so saying he's one of the worst is, well, King Otto I was one of the best of a promising succession of strong German sovereigns. When their paths crossed, Pope John XII crowned Otto as Roman Emperor of the West on February 2nd, 962 and effectually signed his own political death warrant and the rebirth certificate of the Holy Roman Empire in one grand and ceremonious stroke. The Holy Roman Empire was first born Christmas Day, A.D. 800 on that day while Charlemagne, the conquering king of Western Europe, was quietly worshiping at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Pope Leo III stepped down from the altar and crowned him successor to the Caesars of Rome. But the heirs of Charlemagne could not maintain the empire he had built. Separate kingdoms once again rose with no central government to hold them together. Invading Norsemen splintered the kingdoms further. Robbers and looters roamed the land and feudalism emerged as a system of local allegiance, alliance, and protection in an increasingly brutal age. Near the end of the 9th century and through the first half of the 10th, the papacy fell into political subservience and moral decadence. Well, nothing's really changed. Uh, powerful secular leaders in Italy acquired control of Rome and the papacy, contaminating the highest offices of the church with greed, violence, and intrigue. Immoral popes were seated and deposed at whim, the lives of many of them ending with murder or imprisonment. <clears throat> During the infamous period, John XII became pope in 955, his papal reign included drunken orgies in the Lateran Palace. Imagine that. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, in Germany, young Otto I was growing in power and prestige, wielding Christianity as a unifying sword. King Otto formed wise and careful alliances with other German tribes, appointing bishops at the same time as he anointed civil authorities. 
He gave generous land grants to the German church, building it into a national institution independent of Rome. At Sword Point, he sought to bring the Wends, a Western Slavic tribe, to the <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to the foot of the cross. Denmark, Poland, and Bohemia bowed to him as their feudal sovereign. And then, with his eye on the crown of the Holy Roman Empire, he led his army into Italy to rescue the widowed Adelaide, the former queen of Italy, whom King Berengar II, her late husband's successor, had imprisoned. Otto married Adelaide, reduced Berengar to a fief of the German crown, and returned to Germany. Several years later, Otto came up against Berengar again when Pope John XII sent an appeal for his help against the king. This time Otto rode into Italy at the head of a massive army, marched peaceably into Rome, and there on February 2nd, 196, I'm sorry, 962, was crowned Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire by John XII. In Rome, Otto also witnessed firsthand the moral degradation of the papacy and was greatly alarmed at what he saw. The next year, Otto returned to Rome and summoned Pope John XII to stand trial before an ecclesiastical court. Cardinals charged the Pope with adultery, incest, taking bribes for bish forks, and turning the papal palace yeah, um, into a brothel. Oh my gosh. Refusing to appear before the court, John went hunting instead. The cardinals removed him from his papal office, replacing him with Otto's choice for the job, a capable but ecclesiastically unaccredited layman. The new Pope, Leo VIII, and many successive popes would now answer to the Holy Roman Emperor. Thus began a reformation of the papacy that lasted nearly three centuries. From Otto the Great, the Charlemagne of Germany, the Holy Roman Empire would exist continuously until Napoleon Bonaparte had blown it apart, I made that up, replaced it with his Confederation of the Rhine in 1806. I didn't need to know any of that. I don't know why I just read that, but anyway, they say um, when you read of the corruption and misuse of power in the church, in the Middle Ages, where do you see God fitting into the picture? Do you see any reason for the state ever to control the church? I was thinking that in my head while I was reading it. No, they should not be. The prophet Daniel described how the kingdom of heaven will replace the flawed kingdoms of this world. I read that just this morning, uh, Daniel 7 through Daniel 9. Uh, during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No one will ever conquer it. It shall shatter all these kingdoms into nothingness, but it will stand forever. And that's Daniel 2.44. So there you go with that sad stuff that people act that way in the church and abuse the name of Jesus, but that's the way it is. Uh, something just came to mind while I was reading is that when you send out your note today, tomorrow, the first thing you want to put in there, not in the middle, not in the last, but the first thing is we are going to start early on Friday. 9.45, not 10 o'clock. Sunday. Sunday. Did yeah. I say Friday? Yeah. Well, then I didn't mean that. That would be way early. That would That's be way, we're really early. Okay. It's going to be a long church service. This sermon is going to go on and on and on. Okay, yeah, uh, Sunday morning, We're go and I'll remind you of that, but uh, we're going to start at 9.45 on Sunday instead of 10 o'clock on Sunday. And there's a reason for it, so uh, just be ready. And uh, people that are late, they can always go back and catch up. It's a very important thing that's happening. So, um, we are going to be today in the book of Colossians. Something new, something interesting. Oh, wait, we've been in it for a while. Um, we're in Colossians chapter 4, though, and we are really getting done soon. And what this means is i got to start printing off new pages because we're running out of paper very quickly. And uh, 
That means we're going to be done with the book of Colossians. End of the month, my prediction. Uh, yeah, maybe even this, maybe today. I don't know. No we're, we're just whipping right through this. Okay, so we're in Colossians. A record. We're setting a world record today. Colossians 4, 7, wherever you want to start, go ahead. Let's go back to 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with soul, yes. so that you may know how to answer everyone. Seven. Tychicus. Uh, Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Okay, that reminds me. You know, I was picking on Benzer over in the UK. His name is not Benzeroni. It's, uh, he uh, was the one who introduced us to the pizza place. Oh, yeah. And so I call him Benzeroni, like a papa mia, mamma mia. Okay, anyway, there you go. So I just suddenly realized I did not correct that. What did, so, Ab, what did Paul have against this guy? Uh, yeah, I want to know. Um, Tychicus, a beloved brother. They put that in the beginning instead of the end. Faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. So there you go. Kind of the same, but just different order. Uh, this and the next verse are almost an exact repeat of Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. So we'll go there. You'll see we've been following Ephesians and you can see how closely they mirror. And I, like I said, I don't know if um, uh, Paul is actually um, copying off of his letter, if he had it in front of him, or if he's just thinks so consistently that he says the same thing. I've noticed if I go back and read some of my old emails or uh, whatever, I'm saying the same thing today that I say to people three and four and five years ago. And so it could be that it's just, he's got a, a mode and a process in his head that he's used to, and that's how he develops his theology. But his, um, his sidekick there is still with him with this letter, too. Uh, yeah, you mean Timothy? No, read it. Well, yes, but at the beginning it was uh, uh, Timothy, our brother, in uh, one chapter, verse one, 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 mm -hmm. one. So, but this is Tychicus here, so he's there with him as well. He is. Yeah. He's, he's, he starts off the paragraph. Yep, absolutely. So here we go with um, Ephesians six twenty-one and twenty-two, uh, like you said right there. But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. So we get the same same basic sentence there as we had there, and then 22, which we'll read in a minute, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. And so you're right about that, is that he's there, he's saying the same thing with the same words. I just don't know if he was using a, a pattern or if it was just in his head. But, uh, uh, you know, like I say, I don't use a pattern, and unfortunately, because Quite often, somebody will send me an email and they'll ask a question. Somebody sent me an email this morning about something I said last week during the update. Then I typed up this nice little email for them and I sent it off. And what a stressful day it's been. I could never get caught up today. Oh, just, it's just what happened is I forgot. I was thinking I had another year. Every two years, you have to, um, if you have a water and wastewater license, you have to do CEUs. And this isn't so you stay refreshed in your memory. It's so the state of Florida can make money off of you. There never was a CEU requirement until like 15 years ago. And then they said, well, you guys need to do CEUs. And 
it's just they get money off you. That's it's a big money making thing. Anyway, um, so I had to do my CEUs uh, 30 hours worth of them because I usually do them at the end of the year before the year they're due. Be education, yes, continuing education units, and that's what that means. And so I have 30 hours of CEUs that I have to get done, and so I just along with all the other work, because I don't want to lose those licenses. You know, what does it say in the Bible? Cast your bread upon many waters. Okay, one thing may not work out in life. Um, we don't know what's going to happen in the church. And so I, I may need to uh, uh, go back to wastewater and just preach on Sunday and work in the wastewater business. I don't know. So anyway, whatever happens in life, I want to keep those licenses. I, I will never be able to get them again. It's very, very hard to get licensed in wastewater. That's a catch-22. You either have to have the license to get the job, or you uh, there's no other way. So there's only a couple places that will allow you to apprentice to get the license. And they're few and far between. The only other option is to not work and to go to school, which most people can't afford to do that, to get a license. And then you still start out at the bottom of the barrel. So it's a hard thing to do. Um, I don't want to lose those licenses. So, um, what a long day. And every time I tried to get something done, something came in. I'm so far behind, I literally am stressed right out of my head. But I'm not um, uh, in any distress. I just, you know, you just feel the tension of the world coming on you. Um, so, the point I was making was that, um, I don't remember. Anyway, um, I, I, I had a point that I, what's that? Yeah, that could be it, in distress. Anyway, I don't remember the point I was going to make about that, but it, I was tying in uh, the wastewater license to whatever I was thinking, and I'll remember it in another minute. Anyway, right now, um, we'll read the comments on 4.7, and um, we'll just go from there. This and the next verse are almost an exact repeat of Ephesians 6, uh, 21 and 22. <clears throat> Tychicus would have been sent out with Paul's letters of instruction, and he would have carried along other information about how he was and what he was up to. Okay, this was standard procedure. You had somebody that would travel and they didn't mind doing this and uh, they'd get on a boat and they'd have to walk a long way and you know, they would have to uh, maybe, if they had a lot of supplies, they would maybe hire a donkey and have somebody walk with them. I mean, they, back then it was completely different than it is now where we go out to the driveway, put a key in a car and start driving and everything goes simply. Um, what happened back then was if, suppose he is in Ephesus and he needed to get uh, information to uh, Jerusalem. Well, the, they're in Ephesus, they would have to physically walk to the uh, port, they'd have to get on a ship, the ship would sail, they would get off the ship, they would have to walk all the way to Jerusalem unless they had, you know, could rent a horse or a donkey or something. And that didn't change, if you think about it, that didn't change until the 1850s, maybe? Uh, literally. And then people started to be able to have uh, different forms of transportation. You had boats that actually didn't uh, need wind to go, and so they could get across the ocean quicker. I mean, the world has changed a lot in the past 150 years, if you think about it. But Tychicus would be sent with this information. And if there was other stuff, like I'm saying, that had to go, he had to take it all. And so it wasn't just the simple life that these messengers and people like Tychicus had. They would be very appreciated people. Anyway, um, this Tychicus is mentioned several times in the New Testament. 
He is found in Acts 20, verse 4, which we should be at very soon. We just started Acts 14. Was it today? I yeah, I, because tomorrow's 14 too. That's right. I've always got like five of those commentaries in my head because I'm typing one. I'm anyway, um, we started Acts 14 today. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so we are almost halfway done with the book of Acts, and we've been in it now for, I think Wade told me this morning, 405 days. So it's a great adventure. I'm, I'm absolutely loving the book of Acts in a day-by-day -day commentary. Does anybody here read that? Uh, nobody here. Do you? No? You do. Okay, so you read it every day? Not every day. No, oh, okay, well, got to read it every day. I have to listen to yeah. the British guy. Yeah, the, oh, do, do, but you do listen to it. Oh, okay, so she listens to it, but as long as you're participating, it then it counts. I don't care if you read it, or, uh, but you read it with Linda. I know you do, and then you listen to it sometimes. When, I, when uh, I'm in the Acts, I go back and I... I got yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, got you. And uh, that's the same thing Sergio does that when he is, say, in Deuteronomy, he goes back and reads the sermon. Deuteronomy sermon with Deuteronomy. So this week he sent me, like, this all these messages about one thing that he was in and it was, it's always fun to see what he's up to with that but yeah uh, Daniel will be very happy to know that he does a great job his voice is very soothing and uh, so anyway there you go 405 days if you have been following the Acts hats off to you because you've been doing it that long now and there's that much more to go um, anyway Acts 24 he's found uh, there is uh, described as being a person of Asia now remember that Asia is not the Asia that we think of today, okay? Uh, Asia was like the eastern part of, we'll say, Turkey and the area around there. And uh, so uh, Asia is one part. Now, remember Paul is in Acts and he says he had a vision. A man from Macedonia was uh, beckoning him to come there. So they went to Macedonia. But they uh, wanted to go in, in, into Asia and the Spirit of the Lord would not let them. Well, that's not speaking of, you know, what we think of today as Asia. It's Asia is, means basically the east area, okay? And so uh, the eastern area of the Roman Empire in that area. It's not the same Asia. Okay, so he's of Asia. He would uh, was also accompanying Paul from Corinth to Asia. He's mentioned in Ephesians 6, Timothy 4, and in Titus 3 as well. In this letter, he is called a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Okay, the word used for minister is diakonos. This is the source of our word. Anybody? Deacon. Diakonos, deacon. Okay, and it comes from two separate words. Can anybody tell me? I've explained this a couple times. It's a, it, it, when you hear it, you'll say, oh yeah, I should have remembered that. Dia, that's right, that's the first, which means, like diameter, through. Okay, and then konos is dust through the dust. A deacon is not somebody that sits in a church and wields authority over people. He's a person that serves. He's going through the dust, kicking it up as he goes. Um, therefore, to someone, yes, who scurries through the dust and is thus a servant or minister. We think of a deacon today and we say, oh, he's a deacon in a church. Well, he's just a guy that's supposed to be assisting in the help of the church. Okay, he's one that scurries through the dust. Um, in this verse, he is doing exactly that. And uh, his name, what the title implies, is what he's doing. He is traveling with a message through the dusty streets of cities for the benefit of the saints. This term is probably not being applied to him in the technical sense of a deacon, but rather it points to the duties which he is carrying out. He is ministering to Paul as a friend, a brother, 
and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. And, you know, most people don't even know who Tychicus is, but he's mentioned almost as much as Timothy is. The difference is that there was no letter written to Tychicus, whereas Timothy has two letters written to him. And most people know the name Titus because a letter was written to Titus. But Tychicus is an important person in the uh, workings of Paul throughout the New Testament. He is ministering to Paul as a friend. I read that, a brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. It is this hearty soul who was with Paul in such a close relationship who, Paul says, will tell you all the news about me. So this guy isn't just carrying off a letter from Paul. He's also not just carrying, you know, the local grapes or something that somebody loves. And Paul says, I want you to take these to this person. He's also carrying news about Paul. Anything these people wanted to know, Tychicus was well aware of it. Uh, not only would he bring the beautiful epistle in his hands, but he would also tell all about how Paul was doing. He would also answer any further questions that would come about concerning Paul and his ministry. Okay, life application. How, how willing are you to relay the good news concerning the gospel to others? Okay, that's something everybody here needs to ask yourself every single day of the year. Did the sirens wake you up this morning? Did you hear them? No. Okay. I was up at 3.30 as normal. I, ah, I'll tell you a story before I go on. Somebody else wakes up really early. Does everybody know who, what's his name is? Um, uh, hang on. Uh, uh, he's the actor, Wall, um, short guy, done a lot of movies, did Shooter. Um, Wahlberg? Well, yeah. Mark. Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Uh, everybody here seems to know the name, okay? Uh, he, one of my favorite movies he's in. It's great, Okay. I didn't know this until yesterday when somebody sent me a video, and it wasn't because he was a Christian, but because he gets up really early in the morning. But it was about him being a Christian. He did a eight minute long video on his faith in Christ. I was so surprised because usually they would never do this and keep their jobs in Hollywood. So now you know who he is, you know that he's a faithful Christian. This guy gets up at three o'clock every morning and my kind of man, he goes to bed at seven o'clock every day. This is a great guy. I'm a little different. I get up at 3.30 and I now go to bed at 7.30. And I don't like, after that, I don't even like being alive after that. So uh, now I at least understand the kind of character and guy he is because if he does that, that means he is determined to do what he is doing early while the day is early and you don't have all the distractions of life. Anyway, so I have a new respect for him. But this morning I got up at uh, 3.30, I'm working, and I, about 3.45 maybe, or 3.50, police sirens going by, okay? They're just zooming by. I'm coming to a point about this. Um, and uh, then a lot of other cars are going by very fast without their sirens. So obviously there's, uh, the roads are clear and they said, okay, you can turn off your silence, but they're all going by. Think, what's going on out here? Usually when this happens that early in the morning, Beatrice is calling because Harold died. And so all of the cars are going by and you know that that's what happened because you hear fire trucks as well. They always send the big trucks and they also send the, uh, the ambulances. So they're all going by and you can hear the difference. This was not like that. This was all police cars going by. I thought for sure he was going, going to woke up. What's that? Going south, right? going south down to Turtle Beach. And so the point I'm getting at, how willing are you to relay the good news concerning the gospel to others? I am sitting at the mall this morning uh, after, you know, I've got all my work done. I go down to the mall after the sunrise and I'm sitting there on the curb where I sit every single morning with 
bags of food sitting next to me from the dumpster at 7-Eleven and at Anna's, and I'm throwing it over my shoulders like this, and there's all the birds behind me that I'm feeding, okay? So that's the scene. Here's a guy sitting there with no shoes, dirty clothes on, a beard that has not been combed, hair all over the place, because I don't care what I look like. I'm just going to go take out the garbage, and today I had to replace a, a ballast and the light and some other stuff, but I don't care what I look like. There's nobody around but me and the birds. So um, anyway, behind the mall comes a cop, and I look, and it's not a cop I know, and so I'm thinking, he doesn't know me, and here's this guy doing this thing. So he goes by really slowly, and I wave, and he, he, really, and he looks, and then he goes down to the end of the mall and he stops and I know he's putting in something into that computer and he's about to make a bust I can just see it three minutes later I'm still just chucking food over there at my babies about three minutes later this guy gets out of the car and he doesn't want you know they they always straighten themselves up I think here it comes and so he walks over to me he's a young guy too and uh, he he walks up and I said what can I do for you he said, I just had to see these birds. And I, oh. oh. So I said, I haven't seen you before. I said, what's your name? And uh, I want him to know that I'm there regularly. Yeah. And uh, so, regular yeah, regular bum. Regular. Anyway, so we got talking for a while, all right? And he's a nice guy and he's not there to arrest me. But this is the most bizarre thing this morning. I'm usually there alone. This morning, a lady walks by with like a cup of coffee. In the back? In the back, behind the ball, yeah. And then this other guy walks by looking freaky. I'm like, what is this, a tourist <laughs> convention? <laughs> so yeah, there's all this stuff going on where I'm always alone there. So this cop is standing there talking to me and I had to ask, you know, about Jesus. Right, right, right. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I know of Jesus and I said, well, Tell me about it. He says, well, I'm Catholic. And I said, the guy that opens the church was a Catholic. It was my shoe-in to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so we're talking and, you know, just kind of back and forth. I said, the guy that is uh, at the church I go to opens us. He was an ex-Catholic. And I said, he, he, he just loves the Lord. And I'm just using you as a shoe-in here. Okay? And then, um, uh, it, like so six we, questions. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. Six. That's all you need. That's all you need. But I didn't get there yet. So mm -hmm. now, because I, I don't want to, I don't want to go in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. And I'm still throwing the food over there, and so I'm taking care of them all forever. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm. Uh, uh, so he now knows that I'm not just, you no. know, what he thought I was. <laughs> and so um, uh, I finally said to him, I said, "If you got two more minutes, and." He knows I'm going to talk to him about Jesus now because I've already mentioned it a couple times. Mm -hmm. He's got nowhere to go, mm -hmm. okay? The reason why, though, is because I was able to have a good conversation with him was because of the cop cars going down to Turtle Beach. That's what started it. Once he came over and found out about the birds, so I got out of order there. I asked him what was going on. Oh, somebody fired a gun down there. Well, yeah, you're going to get a lot of cops. They want to be a part of that. And that's why there were just cops just whizzing by. Okay, so he explained all that to me. Then I asked him about, you know, you're young and, you know, you could get killed and blah, blah, blah. And so, okay, so then I said, have you got two more minutes? And he gives me, oh, I got one more minute. He's got one more minute to go get donuts. That's what he's got. Anyway, so I, uh, I said, okay, one minute. And very quickly I said, I want you to know, I, I started out in an Episcopal church. And he, uh, uh, he said, he kind of, yeah, I said, I says, exact same thing as Catholicism. We just don't have the Pope and Mary and the saints. I said, that's, it's exactly the same. I know where you're coming from. Jim knows where you're coming from. I said, 
here's the problem with the churches that we went to. I said, the problem is that you have all of this knowledge about God. You know the Trinity. You know the deity of Christ. You know all this stuff. I said, but can you tell me what to do with it? And I got that same blank stare that everybody gets. And say, I just very simply told him. And that guy was shocked. I, all my life, I've grown up as a Catholic, and I didn't know this. So I'm hoping you'll come back again. It's so easy. It It is. It's so easy. And I asked him, are are you out on the key now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm on the key now. So he's going to be there, and I hope he'll come by every morning. Great guy. We'll we'll get him eased into understanding who Christ is. But he got the simplicity of it. He was like, "I, I never knew that. And then what happens? He's got one minute left, he says. Another cop pulls up. And he pulls up, and... I said, what is this, new cop day? I said, I don't know you either. He said, well, I know you. You're the guy that's always blowing. I always get noise complaints because it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm doing my job. There's no restriction on the time. People complain. They come by and they just wave. They, you know, yeah, I checked it out and it's a guy blowing. They'd never bother with me. I know you. You're the leaf blower guy. I said, that's me. I said, I've been taking care of this for like 25 years. That's so The what? Leaf blower. That's yeah, leaf blower. Anyway, so... Not just a blowhard. Not a blowhard, a leaf blower. So he, the first car pulls, he's already up there. The second cop pulls up to the next one. And what did they do? They probably sat there for 45 minutes and talked. Yeah. He had two minutes to go. There you go. Anyway, the whole point is right here. This is the whole point of that. I'm, that was a great segue into this. How willing are you to relay the good news concerning the gospel to others? Man, that guy doesn't know Jesus. He knows religion. About Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he knows about Jesus. Uh, he knows religion. But what are the six questions you said? You only oh, he, six questions. Uh, go I ahead. To, well, okay. Well, first of all, what, what every Catholic knows, they know, is, are you a sinner? Yes. Okay. Do you do you know that is Jesus God? Yes. They all know this. Do you know that he was uh, he was he came here, born in a uh, from a virgin? Yes. Do you know that um, that he. Uh, Lived a perfect life. Yes. Do you know that he died uh, for your sins? Died for your sins on the cross. It's like yes. Do you believe all that? It's like yes. It's like well, then apply it. You're saved. It's like ask you know, him to save you and forgive you. Yeah, it's right, done. Right. It's, you don't need all of that religion. You don't need all of that baggage. I got crap for that too. Oh, I know you yeah, did. Like, I know you did. Like, you get it all stop. the time. It's like, you, know, you just wait. you make it simple, and people don't process what they know. They know these things, but they don't process them. And so talking to a Catholic is a great, great, easy experience. They're either going to reject it and say, well, I don't believe that. I believe the church. And that's a problem because I just typed up a commentary a day or two ago about that. People have their faith in something other than Jesus. I, I believe in the King James Bible. They don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. They believe in the King James Bible. That's not healthy. I believe in the, the Catholic Church. They don't believe in Jesus who established the church. And so they need to have that worked out of them. And a lot of them don't want it. They do not want to have the the legalistic attitude of their religion taken out of them. I want to cling to the King James Bible. And the only reason why I could think somebody would want to do that is because they don't have to think. This is my door for salvation. I'm holding on to this, and so I don't have to think. I don't have to do any hard work when in fact they're doing more hard work trying to defend the indefensible than they ever would do by simply giving up their lives to Christ. So once again, I'll ask this, and keep thinking of this when you meet people, because that young guy 
He's 20 years old. He's got his whole life ahead of him. Could get shot tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. And that would be the end of his life. And he's a nice young guy, but he needs Jesus. How willing are you to relay the good news concerning the gospel to others? Tychicus was willing to travel by land and by sea in order to get the news out to, to those who were hungry to hear it. Are you at least willing to share it in the circles you travel? And if you're scared to talk, there's a whole rack of tracks back there. I love to see it empty because that means I got to go order more tracks. I get to sit with Hitiko and stamp tracks while she's cooking or we're watching TV or something, stamp and then blow it off and next one. I love that because that means people are handing these out. I know the word is getting out, okay? Are you at least willing to share it in the circles you travel? Do the people at the restaurant that you frequent even know that you're a Christian? Do the people you work with know this? Get the news out. Well, I work with a couple of cops now. I mean, I see a lot of cops, and most of them I know out there, but two of them I don't know. And they're out there, and now I know that he needs Jesus. And so I'll just keep, if he comes back there tomorrow, I'll talk to him about Jesus some more. Just, I'm not going to overburden him with it because then you're going to chase somebody away. But open your mouth and speak. Let people know about Jesus, okay? They, okay, I, this is all I know. They uh, heard a shot. Somebody reported it. They all went down there. They found no casings. They found nobody. They found nothing. They, somebody reported a shot, and for all we know, it was a backfire of a car, you know. But once you hear something like that, I was thinking, actually, when I was vacuuming, because Burke didn't show up, shame on him. Um, I was thinking, he told me he would. Anyway, um, I was thinking about that. If you want to shoot off guns on Siesta Key... <coughs> What a great time to do it on the 4th of July. Nobody's gonna know what you're doing, you know, but when I was a kid, oh, mom's not here today, that's too bad, she could verify this. Um, somebody that is in government, and you see this name, everyone in here except you, because you're not from Sarasota, but every one of you that, that is here sees this name and they've seen it every year for years and years, every one of you. I tell you, I don't wanna say it online, but this person that is in government that you know personally, their name in Sarasota County, the family moved in to right next door, literally right next door to us years and years ago. Okay, if you know where I used to live, then you could check out the name of that house because they still own that property to this day. The very first night that they were in there, the two brothers, they're probably 35 or 40 years old at the most when they moved in, the two brothers, spent the whole night shooting their rifle at things at the end of the dock. They put out like cans and stuff. All night long, they shot that rifle. This is a different world we're living in today. When somebody shoots one, or maybe it's a backfire, and 15 police go rushing down. This is a completely different world because that was what people did when I was young. But the reason why I remember that is because mom was so mad at them. She went over the next morning and said, do you know I've been trying to sleep all night long and you've been shooting that rifle off all night long, and they apologize. They never did it again, except when they invited her to shoot the rifle. Okay, so I. But this is a completely different world, and that was just when I was a kid. I was probably 17 or 15 at the time, right? And uh, well, because of the drive-bys last spring, that's why they don't. That's right. The drive-bys at the north end, you know. Oh, and by that's right, right up by his house, and you know, Siesta Key's changed, but. Back then, there were there were people. Mom, what mom used to do? She used to take her 12 gauge shotgun 
out to Turtle Beach, 20 gauge, it, was, it wasn't a 12, it was a 20, one the longer, smaller. She used to go out to Turtle Beach and we'd throw shells and she'd try to shoot them. Right at the beach, nobody said anything. Now, you would never do that nowadays. Different world we're living in. Okay, so we're in verse four, eight. Yes, and I, I do think we might get done tonight. Uh, we might, we're, we're whipping it out. Okay, yeah. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know all about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Okay, very, very similar. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So very, very close. Um, let's see here. The word him obviously is speaking of Tychicus of the previous verse. The words for this very purpose relate to what Paul had just said to them in that verse. It is he, as Paul says, his words will tell you all the news about me. He then re-explains this in fuller detail with the words that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. He had sent Tychicus to Colossae with his epistle, entrusting him to fill in all of the information about him, meaning Paul, which was unstated in the letter, and certainly also to determine their condition in the Lord. In so doing, and in answering any questions they had about Paul and his associates, he says that he would be able to, Paul's words, comfort your hearts, okay? Paul is very concerned about the churches that he went to. He was very concerned about the people that he met. He wanted them to know that he was okay because he knew that they would be asking. And, uh, you know, how, how was the evangelism there? How was this there? How are you in jail? They always wanted to know. Paul was very careful to make sure that whatever needed to be said, he would get it out to these people. Tychicus was obviously faithful in his ability to recount anything that Paul passed on to him. If there was a personal greeting, he would relay it. If there was a note of commendation, he would relay it. If someone needed correction, Tychicus was competent and faithful to ensure it was passed on. Okay, Paul's very good about writing uh, corrections into his epistles without really saying you guys have messed up greatly. He does it in a way that is tactful and uh, uh, you know he lets people know, please help these people along through this and so on. But there may have been some issues that needed to be said outside of the epistle and he'd say you know I want you to talk to this person and tell them this is my words being transmitted to them they need to stop this or that I've heard about this and we get a little bit of that not from Paul but just comes to mind right now let me stop and who does this very well in his epistles uh, James John John he says right there um, where is it um, he talks about uh, diatrophies and, you know, who loves to have the preeminence and when I come, I'm going to call him out and blah, blah, blah. But here he says, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. So there you go. He did that there and he also does it in his second epistle. That was number three. He says almost the same thing in his second epistle. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So John was good about that as well. Uh, the difference is John planned on personally going there. Paul is in prison at the time. He may not be able to make it there. He wants them to know. And so somebody sends a letter, like especially with the Corinthians. And there's all of these problems. And Paul says, you know, we need to get this under control. So they had a job to do. Um, speaking about that. Now, remember what the purpose of these epistles is before we go on. 
the purpose of the epistles is not to tell them for the most part something new it's to tell them something that they've already heard what what did paul say in 2 thessalonians don't you remember what i told you when i was with you okay they're telling them something they have already been given doctrine they've been given discipleship and something has happened that has pulled them away from what was correct galatians the entire book is about that they have been uh, duped by the Judaizers. They're being told they need to observe the law of Moses. They're being directed away from what they were told. So the epistles, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because one of my friends emailed me last week and he said, uh, you know, I'm reading some of the church fathers and early on, like within the second century, they're writing about all these heresies. They're writing about all these things that have happened in the church, and some of them are teaching things that are not correct. And he says, how could they have gotten so far away from the word so quickly? And I said, this isn't anything that you should even consider. That's the reason why Paul is writing these epistles, because the people had gotten away from it within a year of Paul having told them. It's not like they had 100 years between them and all of this bad doctrine was coming in. They literally were falling away within a year because they were not staying grounded in what they were taught. Okay, and so Paul has to write these letters to correct them. And by the time that some of these people were writing these, these problematic doctrines, the canon of the Bible had not yet been fully settled. And so they didn't have the whole counsel of God yet. And so, of course, these things are going to happen like this. But, you know, how much more does it happen today when we have the Bible? We've got 18,000 versions of the Bible and people won't pick it up and read it. Or they go to a church and they simply believe what they're told, like what you were talking about before uh, class today. And they have no idea what proper doctrine is. And so... Of course, we are going to have these problems within the church is because people are not willing to. I teach what I teach because I believe what I teach. That does not mean that Charlie Garrett is right. And how many times have I said it? Probably 8 million times. You go home and check what I have said. Weigh it against what somebody else is teaching if they're teaching something different and then go check the word and see which one is correct. Okay? Because they both cannot be correct. They may both be wrong, but they both cannot be correct, or one of them can be right, but that's, those are your only options in this. So uh, make sure that you check what you were told. Um, going back to what I said earlier about my friend that emailed me, and um, uh, I will, I remember now what I was gonna say to you. Uh, I, I started talking about, I got diverted, is that people will write me and I will write them a long email and I will tell them the answer that I believe is correct. Okay, and in the email today, a, a person uh, brought up the issue of um, something I said during the prophecy update. And the issue was, <laughs> I said that there are people, I, I, yeah, uh, the, it was the guy that uh, said that he had gone to hell and he had experienced oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hell. And, he, and I said, nobody's ever been to hell. Nobody's ever been to hell. Yeah. And then he emailed me. I said, I've never heard anybody talk about that. Can you explain that and give me verses for that? And so I did. And uh, he said, and what about heaven? He says, you don't believe people have gone to heaven. Can you do that? Can you defend that? Because I, every funeral I go to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear the same thing. Oh, he's sitting up in heaven looking down on you right now. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what people say. And so I sent him the verses and I sent him the explanation of why I believe what I believe. Heaven is a little different than hell. Hell is very explicit. Nobody's been there and they're not going there until the great white throne. Okay, that is the lake of fire. Okay, that what we consider hell today. But as far as heaven, 
I gave him all of my, my information and I said, I want you to know that there are people that will disagree with this view. But here's my logical reason for teaching what I teach. And I gave him all of the verses and an explanation of them. I didn't hear back from him yet, but I am assuming that he has read that and now he needs to check what I have told him. Because either I'm right or the other guy is right or we're both wrong, but we cannot both be right in our view of this particular issue. Okay, um, I've talked about it in class before, so I'm not gonna go over it, but when a person dies, I do not believe that they go directly to heaven because the Bible does not teach that. The only thing that we have that would make somebody think they go to heaven is a descriptive verse of Paul's, which doesn't apply when he says, I went to the third heaven. Well, that's a completely different issue and it has nothing to do with him dying, okay? But secondly, the other one is absent from the body present with the Lord. And I've explained that. What does that mean? Because the verses that follow right after it explain what it means, okay? Is that you'd have to go and read it. I don't have it in front of me. But uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord does not mean that you're sitting in heaven with the Lord. What has to happen before you are enjoying heaven with the Lord? What is the first thing that happens to us? Judge. Well, after the rapture. Rapture happens. Judgment seat. Okay. And it says right there. It says right there in that passage that we all have to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Well, if people are up in heaven right now, that means that they've already had the judgment seat of Christ. But Paul says that that happens at a certain point, and it's not now. So um, absent from the body, present with the Lord means that we are safe with the Lord. Because what does it say in the book of Hebrews? I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's present with us right now. What he's saying is that we are not lost. And when Paul says in Thessalonians, I don't want you to mourn like other. Anyway, if you want that email, I, it's still in my trash file, so I can go ahead and send it to you if you need to have that. I've talked about this before. I don't want to get too far away from that. But I do not believe that people go to heaven right now. The Bible does not teach that. It is not correct. Paul says that we're asleep. We're going to be called. The dead in Christ will rise first. We're all going to go up to Jesus. We're all going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. And then we will be given our station in heaven. But we will be changed immediately. That will happen the moment the rapture happens. Those people have not yet been changed. Okay? Because it says the dead in Christ will rise first. 1 Corinthians 15 says that that change will come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So there you go. It's a little uh, convoluted because I don't have my thought process down that I typed him with, but there you go with that. Anyway, um, and it's not real long. It's just a couple paragraphs I sent him, but I gave him an answer that I hope is sufficient. Um, we'll go on. Um, uh, Tychicus was competent and faithful. Yes. Okay. They certainly would want to know how Paul was getting along while in prison. They would want to know about his care, any visitors, how he was treated, and so on. All the things that we would write somebody in a letter, that's what they would want to know about. With this knowledge, their hearts would be comforted. And all of that information is superfluous to an epistle. An epistle has a purpose, okay? It has a reason. And there's no point in saying all those things in there unless the Lord wants those things in the epistles for us to think about. But most of it doesn't really apply. And so it's not in there. Tychicus is the one charged with carrying that extra information with him. It appears that Tychicus was eminently suited to this task because it was he who performed the same mission to Ephesus as is recorded in that epistle. Paul's use of him in this manner is a confirmation of complete confidence in him. It stands as a personal commission concerning him. Life application. 
it is always good to know that a person can be completely trusted. Is this how others see us? Are we willing to conduct our lives with such high integrity that we can be relied upon with even the most sensitive or personal material? Let us endeavor to be such people at all times. Okay. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So, oh, Charlie, you, yes. Rhoda had a question. Uh, what about the thief on the cross who said, You will be with me in paradise. Today. Okay. Where was Jesus today? Where was Jesus that day? On earth. On well, ap after the cross, where did he go? Uh, to Sheol. He went to Sheol. He went into the, the term hell, well, he descended into hell. I, I, I got to explain this now. The word hell, and I said this a, a, about a month or so ago, but I want people to get this. The word that we use for hell today does not mean what it used to mean. The word hell used to mean Sheol. It meant the pit, Hades, okay? Now we use the term hell to apply to the lake of fire. And so you want to make sure that what you're thinking is proper. Jesus descended into the pit, okay? Right? He descended into the pit, and he did what on the third day? He rose, okay? Jesus shows us in the parable about Lazarus that there is two different sections of the pit. And we know that from 1 Samuel 28, don't we? Because when the witch at Endor brought up Samuel, he was disappointed. I was happy where I was. What are you doing? Right? So we know that when people go to the pit, that they are in a place that is either a place of comfort or it's a place of not so comfort. But that is not hell as we think of it, the lake of fire. And it is also not heaven that we think of, the rapture, the glorification, the new body. You will be with me in paradise, okay? He was in what people would call Abraham's bosom, okay? You go there where at Lazarus, the tale of Lazarus and the rich man, and he's up there with Abraham. They are in a place of comfort. The Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord, means that they are in a place where the Lord has control of them, just like he's with us now. And so, go ahead. The question is in, in reference to what you were saying about where people go to right. hell or to heaven. Right. And it's not not when they die, but later. Later. But this one was today. That's right, because it is different words. Hell in the old thinking, old English thinking was not the lake of fire. It was Sheol. David went there. Yeah. All of the people in Ezekiel went there. All the people have gone there, and the people today that are dying are going to the pit. They're not going to heaven. They're going to a place that is not heaven and it's not hell as we call it today, the lake of fire. It is a place where the dead are. All the dead in the world are there. Everybody the Greek, got that? The Greek says it's paradise. Is that the same place? Whatever Jesus called it, I don't know the term in the, the Greek. I'd have to look. I look but all, paradiso. Okay, paradise. Okay, so he is in a place where he is in a happy condition. And there's no doubt about it, okay? Because what does it say? Again, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. One of them is in a nice place. One of them is in a not so nice place. But I can assure you they're not in heaven. Did he say he's in heaven or does it say he's in paradise? Okay, so there you go. Yeah. We gotta make a distinction. The rapture has not happened yet. Nobody's been raptured and so whatever heaven is, it's different than what Jesus okay. went to. That's that's all I can say. I'm, okay. I'm not a specialist on that. I don't write books about heaven. I don't write books about hell. 
All I know is that there is a place where we will go if we die before the rapture, and it is not heaven. Okay, it that's, is. That's yeah. great. Thank you. I never paid attention to the difference paradise, heaven, and there's actual difference between. Them. Oh, there's got to be. I'll do that this yeah, time there, there, there's got to be because we're. He uses the word oranos, heaven, and Paul speaks about it as well. We're in the heavenly kingdom, so there's obviously a difference, and I can't tell you because I haven't been there and that's how I started that email with this guy I said it would be terrible to be dogmatic about these things because it hasn't happened to us and so we can't say for sure this is the case all I can say is that the rapture hasn't happened let's read those verses just so that people know what I'm talking about we're gonna go we're gonna get it out of order but we're gonna go first to 1 Thessalonians and we're gonna go to chapter 4 and you tell me if if this means something other than what it means because this is how I read it it says here um, uh, I turned to five. You got to be in the right chapter, Charlie. Okay, it says here, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. So those people are dead. They're somewhere right now. This is uh, one, uh, one Thessalonians four thirteen. Uh, uh, those who have fallen asleep. He uses the term sleep for believers. They are in a state of rest. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which is what that's speaking of. Okay, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. They're dead in Christ, he says elsewhere. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So God is going to take these people that are asleep, like Samuel was. 1, 1 Samuel 28, which of Endor, he was brought up from this state, whatever it is. Think of a really good dream, I suppose. I don't know. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, the sleeping in Christ, will rise first. Then we who are alive together shall, rem uh, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. So we're all going up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That is when we go to heaven, and not before that, because we have not gone through the judgment seat of Christ. And if we haven't gone through that, then we have no position in heaven. So uh, it, uh, it makes sense to me logically, okay? Once again, I'm not saying that I'm correct. I told him that at the beginning. I would not want to be dogmatic about something that we could take different verses and pull them out and say, we'll see this. But now I said I was going to do this out of order. We'll go to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I know I sent him some of these verses, but that's okay. We'll finish uh, Colossians next week. Um, okay. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it says here, let me find this. Um, uh, uh, I think I sent 50. I might not have sent this verse. I got to see. Uh, weak in power, spiritual, the man of the Lord from heaven. I'll just start in 50, and I think this is what I sent him. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, here it is, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So he's talking about people that are dead, just like he did in 1 Thessalonians. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised, here it is, incorruptible. Well, he just said that corruption can't inherit, incorruption can't inherit, uh, let me read it again. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The point is that they're still in a state of corruption. He wouldn't say that if it was otherwise. Read it again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. If they're raised incorruptible, that means they are in a state of corruption. corruption. So they cannot be in heaven. Okay? 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, speaking of us and them, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, implying that it hasn't happened to them as well, and this mortal is put on immortality, then we sh then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Those people are dead. If they were in heaven, death wouldn't have been swallowed up in victory, would have been already. Yeah. And so it's not. Everybody see the logic? That's how I read it. So I know it's different in Catholicism, but oh, yeah. it's sounds... purgatory? purgatory. Purgatory. No, 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 no. Pur purgatory is a completely different thing. Purgatory is where you earn your way out. The, you're you're in a state. So that, that I know. So that's the thing they got wrong. But the fact that there is a certain place oh, sure. before heaven. Yes. That's Absol kind of absolutely. Yeah. And the Bible yeah, speaks yeah, of yeah, that from right. from right. the very right. beginning right. of the Bible all the way through. And just because this is a New Testament does not mean that anything is different. Mm -hmm. We are all either dead in Christ or we're not dead in Christ. And why is that true? Because Job was dead in Christ before Christ came. He had the hope of the Redeemer. He was anticipating him, and he said in Job 19, yet I know my Redeemer lives, and I shall stand on my feet, not another but me, and my eyes will behold him. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay? That's not a, a direct quote. Go read it, okay? Job was saved. He was in a place after he died waiting for this day. And we know this as well from Daniel 12. Let's go to Daniel 12. Okay, we'll do this, Daniel 12, and then we got to go on. Daniel 12, and this is speaking of the Old Testament saints. I, I, you know, people have an opinion whether they will be in the rapture or not. I'm not fixed on it, but my guess is if they were in Messiah, because of their faith in Messiah, they probably will be. But I don't want to say that dogmatically, okay? Because Daniel 12 kind of says it, and it kind of doesn't say it. I'll just read it really quickly, and it says right here, um, uh, uh, will do wickedly um hang on daniel 12 2 i think um great prince even at that time uh even at that time and at that time your people shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting corruption okay when is that exactly speaking of at the end of the tribulation or is it speaking of the end of the millennium they didn't have the clearest of pictures there but there is a point where everybody will be raised some do and this would seem to apply the great white throne for those people because it says some are going to everlasting uh shame okay and if that's the case that means it's the lake of fire once again i don't want to get dogmatic about daniel 12 there but we know that there is a, a place where people go they're asleep in the dust which means corruption and we are in that state right now and we are not incorruptible because paul says that that both those dead in Christ and us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So that's why I stand on it as I do. I don't find heresy or even bad doctrine in either view. Uh, maybe bad doctrine depending on how far they go off with it. But I, it's not something that I am going to say, I'm not going to have fellowship with you because you believe this. I have people say that all the I hear people say that all the time. You know, you believe in sleep, death, and therefore I'm never going to talk to you again. What does Paul call it? he's explicit he says it like 27 times so anyway but I'm, I'm just not one to argue that that's how I feel about it that's how I read these passages 
I'm right. Okay. okay thank you very much. Yeah, that was very yeah. interesting. Only one more question. Yes. About Enoch and the Book of Nephilim. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that in, uh, next. Okay. <laughs> Enoch and the Book of Nephilim. I like that. we got to write a... we got to make a YouTube channel about that, buddy. <laughs> All right. We'll just change our names. And monetize it. Monetize it. Oh, we're going to be millionaires. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, yeah, they want to know how Paul is going. Life application. I think I read all that. Yes. It is always good to know that a person can be completely trusted. Is this how others see us? I might have read this. Maybe I didn't. Are we willing to conduct our lives with such high integrity that we can be relied upon with even the most sensitive or personal material? I did read that. Let us endeavor to be such people at all times. Okay, 4-9. He is coming with Enosimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Okay, this one is the opposite with Anisimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make you know, uh, known to you all things which are happening here. Very close, they just took the first clause and turned it backwards. Okay, um, Onesimus. Anybody, where is he found elsewhere? Philemon. Philemon, that's right. Onesimus is the runaway slave for whom Paul makes a passionate appeal in the book of Philemon. Here, he is called the faithful and beloved brother. There is a definite article in front of faithful, and so it says the, not a. Paul is carefully highlighting the status of Philemon, who was once a slave on the run. He then says, who is one of you? This is more than probably a reference to his being from Colossae, okay? In the words selected, and with the emphasis on faithful and beloved, Paul is showing that this former slave is on an equal level with them in Christ and that they should acknowledge him as such. Paul's true love and concern for Onesimus is seen in this very short verse, but it will literally pour out of him in his letter to Philemon. If you've never read that letter, it will take you less than three minutes, probably two minutes to read it, sure. and it is so beautiful. I've read it a couple classes recently. I won't read it again. Read that book. Think on it. Think on what Paul is saying and why he's saying it. How he is placing himself in the place of Christ and saying, I will pay the debt. Just as Christ did for me, I will do that for this person who is now in Christ. It's a wonderful book. He has become a believer in Christ, Philemon, I'm sorry, Onesimus, under Paul. And it was Paul's highest desire for him to be treated as a fellow brother in Christ because of this. What a marvelous epistle. You could just see the love pouring out of Paul as he wrote those words. Just marvelous. Together with Tychicus, these two men would, Paul's words, make known to you all things which are happening to me. These words signify everything that was of note concerning Paul and his interactions with the church there in Rome. The letter was for guidance, exhortation, and knowledge. Being a prescriptive writing for those at Colossae, and eventually is an epistle in the Bible, and so it's for the entire church. And on the other hand, the things that would be conveyed by these men to them would consist of matters not necessary for doctrine or teaching. So we need to think on that. I uh, was talking to somebody. I don't remember who I said this to recently. Maybe it was Sergio. Somebody just within the past couple of days is that... Uh, Maybe it was you guys. No, I haven't. Uh, I can't remember Somebody. who. Somebody. Somebody. And I, I was saying that I bet you, because of the caliber of person that Paul was, Paul wrote a letter to every single church that he ever established. And he probably did it faithfully. 
He probably was a letter writer, and you know, I, I, I the, what made me think of it is he was in Iconium. He got chased out of there. He went to Lystra, where he's right at right now in our commentary, in the commentary I'm typing X. because I'm a little head. Yeah, in Acts. But I bet you that Paul wrote a letter to every single church that he ever went to, and he probably wrote several letters to them if necessary. But the Lord only kept a certain number of epistles that were inspired by him to get the word to us for the Bible. The Lord knew which ones he was going to inspire, and Paul, other than that, probably just faithfully sat down and said, you know, I'll be there in a while. I'm writing a letter to the church at Lystra, and I want them to know how things are. I bet you, knowing that guy, he did that, okay? And that's just Charlie Garrett's speculation, but as much as he loved the people that he evangelized and the people that he saw converted, I bet you he was a faithful guy to sit down and say, I'm going to write them today. Don't bother me for the next hour and a half. I've got to get this out of my head. Okay. You can just see it in how he loves the people he evangelized and how he, he truly cared about them knowing how he was, wanting to know how they were. And he'd tell Tychicus, now when you come back to me, make sure you take all the information you can about. Tell me about, uh, you know, Flebius, who, you know, remember he had all those problems. Find out how he's doing. I can just see Paul doing that. What a great guy. It, it just the person and the caliber of uh, his, his being is just evident in what he writes. Uh, life application. The person at church who works as a garbage man all week is to be considered as being on the same level as the millionaire who runs a large company or the congressman who attends when he is in town. It is really not appropriate to exalt others over one another because of their position in life. Instead, those who are faithful to the word, who are productive in the church, and who give themselves for Christ are the truly exalted ones among their brethren. Okay, doesn't matter what somebody does during the week, and it shouldn't matter how much somebody has or how big their house is or what kind of car they drive. None of those things should matter. What should matter is the person whose heart is geared for the Lord is the one that the pastor should be looking at during the sermon and saying, good job, you're such, you're such a faithful person. I can't do that. If I look at people during the sermon, I get like, uh, what you know, when you look at it, uh, the deer with the, the flashlight, the yeah, that, that's kind of, I, I have to just let my eyes roam without looking at anybody, because if I do, oh, I just, you know, that's why I, I said when we were at uh, Grace and you'd preach in front of 450 people, it was so simple because they had lights in your eyes and you really couldn't see what was going on out there. And there, there, people are far enough away where you can't really make eye contact anyway. And so it was so easy. You're just standing there talking. But when you're in a small church, everything comes into your eyes and so you can't look at anything. Um, where's what I just said about um, uh, treating people properly uh, also said in the epistles? Where is that? I think it's probably in... Uh, uh, James chapter, where is it? Um, uh, no, no, it's uh, three is what I'm thinking, but maybe not. Maybe it's in James chapter one. It's the one that uh, speaks about um, uh, the one, you sit here at my feet, and where is that? It's James it's chapter two, two. Okay, we're going to look here. Chosen poor. Yeah, 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 I think this is it. Um, there it is. We'll just start in chapter two. One. I'm just going to read because it's exactly what I just said in this uh, life application. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with partiality. Very good. Chapter 2. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, Here, you sit in a good place. And say to the poor man, You stand 
there. Or maybe sit here at my footstool. I'm, I'm giving a little paraphrasing in here. I'm reading it, but I'm also... Okay, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, James tells us not to do that. And that doesn't mean just the pastor. That means, to, you know, somebody comes into a church and you don't know them, say hi to them, right? You don't just, oh, I'll get to know them next week. Go up and say hi and be nice to them, all right? Don't show partiality and, and uh, try to spend time with the people that are uh, wanting to spend time with you. Anyway, um, and I don't always get a chance, you know, because after somebody walks in and oh, you guys got to go, have a great evening. Somebody walks in and, you know, I'm preaching and then I'm getting ready for the prophecy update and four people from the church come and flood around me. And I never get to say hello to the person that walked in. I always hate that. I'd like to be able to say hi to them and I don't ever want to ignore anybody. Uh, and I can't imagine what it would be like in a church with 565 people. Okay. And, you know, they want to come and I all want to say hi to the pastor at the break or at the end of the service. You, you, you can hardly do that. I mean, it's very hard to do because, you know, so many people want to talk to you. And I know why some pastors stand at the back of the church and they just kind of shake your hand and pull them out the door because there's a lot going on. Anyway, you wouldn't think it, but it just there is. Okay, 410. 410. My fellow prisoner, Aristocrus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Almost identical. I'm not even going to read it. Two words were backwards, and that's it. Um, have we got time? Yes. Okay. Um, Aristocus is a fellow Jew who is listed three times in the book of Acts, 1929, 24, and 27-2. He's mentioned one more time in Philemon. Though a Jew, he was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, as well as as well, just as Paul was from Tarsus of uh, Cilicia. So he wasn't just a Jew, but he was a Jew of the dispersion that grew up in another area. So he would have spoken the language of the area, would have known the culture and the customs, etc. Curiously, he is called my fellow prisoner here. But in Philemon, he is called my fellow laborer. At the same time, Epaphras is called my fellow prisoner in Philemon. So there's all this speculation about this, such as that they chose to voluntarily be prisoned, imprisoned with Paul at times to help him, which is not out of the question. That is something that could be possible. The people in prison were not supported by the Roman Empire. If somebody didn't help them out, they died. They did not have food and clothing provided by the Roman Empire. So somebody may have said, I will voluntarily come into the prison and be a fellow prisoner with him to help him during his time of imprisonment. So he's not sitting there alone and so on. It's just speculation. This is not impossible to suppose as Paul had an affliction which seems to have required much help. We've talked about this several times. Many believe it to be poor eyesight, okay? Why would we think it was poor eyesight? Give me a couple clues as to why it makes signature. Big signature. This is how I write in all of my letters, okay? He said to the Galatians, when I came to you, at first, you would have given me your eyes, if you could, okay? Implying that he probably had bad eyes. Another one, he's standing in the room with the high priest, and he's talking badly to the high priest, and somebody says, you dare revile the high priest? And what does he say? I did not know. I didn't know he was the high priest. So either he's saying it in jest, or he really couldn't see who he was talking to, okay? Another, everywhere Paul goes, 
everywhere. He goes down to the ship. Somebody accompanies him. He sails. Somebody is with him. He gets off the ship. Somebody is there to meet him. He is always being conducted by people. The chances are, I'm not saying this dogmatically, but the chances are that his eyes never fully recovered as a reminder to him of what happened on the road to Damascus. Just speculation, but I would assume, and I would even assume that that was what he prayed about to the Lord. Lord, please take this affliction from me. And three times I asked, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And if these guys are going into prison with him, that's grace. That is sufficient grace that the Lord has provided. Just speculation. Please don't make a brain squiggle other than it's possible. That's what I would uh, say about that. However, what is just as possible is that terms such as fellow prisoner, fellow servant, and fellow laborer apply to both of them during each instance, all being equally true. So they could all be in prison together. They are also fellow servants of the Lord, and they're all fellow laborers in the work of the Lord. So it could be either, it could be neither, it's just speculation. But Paul chose to focus on one term or the other for each individual for his own reasons. Okay, I'm with Sergio and Jim. We're out uh, doing something and uh, we make a phone call and I say, well, Sergio and Jim are here and uh, Jim, my fellow laborer, is having a bad day. And the next time I say, well, I'm, uh, we call the next day, I say, boy, poor Sergio, my fellow laborer, he's having a tough day. Jim's much better today, so I don't, you know, it could be he's just using the same term at a different time for a different reason. No idea, okay? Just giving you some things to think about. Paul chose to focus on one term over the other for each individual for his own reasons. Whatever the case, Aristarchus is at this time a fellow prisoner with Paul. In this capacity, he sends his greetings to those at Colossae. Hey, say hi. Along with him is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He's also a Jew. This would be John Mark, who went along with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, but who left the task before it was finished. And because of this, on the next missionary journey, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, so much so that they split, and there's no record of them ever having reconciled. Doesn't mean they didn't, but the Bible does not tell us they did. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along again, the disagreement was so severe that they split apart, each going their own way. Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas, and off they went in different directions. Good thing to happen anyway, because by splitting in two, they now have two missionary fields to go out on. The Lord knew that would happen. He knew that they would get angry at each other. But more people were evangelized. More people were revisited by uh, Barnabas and Mark when they went to, uh, what was the island, um, Crete? Well, anyway, the, the island right off the coast of uh, uh, where Turkey is today. Uh, is Crete? Malta. Malta, no, not, uh, uh, no. Uh, no, Cyprus. Cyprus, thank you. That's uh, Cyprus, okay. Yeah, they went there. They would have done all of the churches again, seen how the people were. Paul and Barnabas, uh, I'm sorry, Paul and Silas went somewhere else. And then we got a great song out of it. Um, one for Paul, one for Silas, you know. I don't know. Uh, and it's a great song. Um, who did it? Uh, Jefferson Airplane did it. Lots oh, of really? folk singers did it. Yeah, it's a folk song. It's really good. Anyway, so we got a good song out of it, too. Anyway. Um, Still don't know it, but uh, well, <laughs> it, interesting. Go type it in and uh, uh, just type in one for Paul, one for Silas. Hang on. I'll good give Shepherd. You one. The Good Shepherd. Thank you. That's it. Did you do that just now? Oh, okay. So he, he was faster than me. The, it's great. So have you heard it? No. I mean, I'm sure I probably heard it. Oh, yeah. Go listen to it. It's great. And there's nothing unreal. 
Okay, yeah, if you started to play it, boy, that would get us in trouble. It's a great, great song. Anyway, okay, um, and like I say, it's not just, you know, Jefferson Airplane, you think of rock and roll, but it's not. It's uh, all the folk singers did it. It, it sang in churches sometimes. It's a great song. Anyway, um, I can see somebody right now online typing it up and, uh, you know. Anyway, um, and I hope they do. I love the song. Now this yeah, is we all... just lost half of the people online. I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's... Okay. Sure. Now this is a long time later. Okay. It is noted that Paul has received Mark with an open hand once again. So even though Paul and Barnabas are never having said to reconcile, Paul accepted Mark and there is restoration. And we know that. Okay, so um, what appears to be the case is that at some point, Paul had mentioned the strife between himself and Mark to those at Colossae. And he had even given instruction that the rift was mended between them. This seems evident from the words, about whom you received instructions. In telling them about Mark in a favorable manner, he now implores them that if he comes to you, welcome him. The old wounds were healed, and Paul wanted those at Colossae to be sure to treat him with a warm welcome. All right, this Mark, also known as John Mark, is noted in 1 Peter 5, verse 13. There Peter calls him, my son Mark. This is then the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Some people dispute that, just so you know. And who, according to extra-biblical tradition, became both the bishop at Alexandria and who was martyred there. Okay, uh, one thing in the Bible that people say they think it is Mark. Does anybody know what it is? Uh, it, it doesn't say his name, but he was a young man and something happened oh, to him. Oh, he ran away. Ran his away in his clothes. Off, right? His tunic right. came off as he was running away. That is supposed that it was Mark that that happened to. Okay, I don't remember where I got that squiggle from, but it came from somewhere. Wait, wasn't that and, John? And I thought it was John. Uh, yeah, it was John. yeah, it was in John, but what I'm saying is it's ascribed to being Mark. Okay, not that it's in the book of Mark, but it's right, John right. wrote it about Mark. But once again, that's just speculation and the extra biblical tradition. I just threw that in so you know what they say. It doesn't mean that it's correct. Okay, it's not in the Bible. So make sure you always make a, a little distinction in your heads about these things. At the end of Paul's years, during the writing of 2 Timothy, Paul writes, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful for me, for, to me for my ministry, okay? The old wounds had healed, and Paul saw, Paul saw great value in Mark's assistance in his ministry, which he had once long ago abandoned. Paul had forgiven, and Mark had grown up. Together towards Paul's end, they were a united force in the work of sharing the gospel to the world. Life application, and we are done because we only got about five more minutes. Forgiving old offenses can be a difficult thing to do. But it is also the right thing to do when there is a uniting in repentance, repentance meaning turning, okay, to change your mind, and a willingness to move forward in a new direction. If this is the case, case then let go of the past and strive to make a new start with the one you either offended or who offended you, okay? Life is short and eternity is forever. Which will you direct your actions towards? Look to the long term, be forgiving when it is right and proper, and do great things for the Lord in a united way when it is possible. Okay, that's good stuff. Wonderful, wonderful words. I just love the book of Colossians, and I'm sorry it's ending so quickly, but 
Um, uh, we'll we'll uh, go on into 1 Thessalonians. I have a friend. I know it's his personal favorite book in the Bible. And anytime he has uh, something that uh, is bothering him, he sits down and reads 1 Thessalonians. And so uh, he's probably sitting in this church right now. That's my guess. Anyway, um, yeah, it's one of those things I happen to know about him. He keeps everything real quiet about himself, but he did let me know that once. Anyway, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your word and to just cherish you and who you are and to know more about you nor know more about the doctrines that we are to possess and to grow in. And Lord, we don't have all the answers. We can only speculate on how it's going to happen at that moment. You've given us enough information to tell us the rapture is going to happen, that we are going to be changed. And when that comes about, we're going to be in your presence forever. And so uh, that's one thing that we are very, very confident in. We're very thankful for. And Lord, please help us to uh, uh, just cherish the thought of that while still being responsible to getting the word out and telling others about Jesus until that day. Help us to uh, live for today as far as that's concerned, but live for tomorrow when the moment comes when you take us. And so we have both of them in our hearts and our minds at all times. We thank you for this hope. We thank you for it. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I understand that when I push this button, um, uh, Sergio tells me when I push the button here, you can't hear me say goodbye. And so I'm going to push the button and we're going to wave. And you know that I'm telling you that we love you and to be push, here, be push, square. Okay. Push. So we're going to do this right now. <laughs>